I believe there's great risk here by any area of the world being a disproportionate portion of the supply chain for something so critical. Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger is at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. And so are we. You knew it was coming up. We've been thinking about it for, how long have we been thinking about it? I think Three since last Davos. <laughs> Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin sit down with Gelsinger to talk semiconductors, the AI revolution, and balancing an uneven supply chain. People say, it's an uncertain world. I need resilience and the most critical element to the supply chain, my semiconductors. Why Gelsinger says Intel's business and the overall expansion of chip production in the US and Europe is so crucial to a stable world order. If you have a more balanced supply chain, everybody can make better policy, right? If you have unique, harsh dependencies, then small things must become big things. Plus the role of talent in tech these days. Every high ed degree should come stamped with a green card to go with it. We need this talent. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Squawk Pod reports from Davos, Intel's Pat Gelsinger. Covered a lot of ground. Yeah, we did. Begins right now. We're in the Swiss Alps this week. Well, not me, I'm in New York, but our anchors Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin are. And your other Squawk Pod host, Katie Kramer, she's in Davos too. Welcome to Davos. Ooh, it is so cold. We're broadcasting from the Alpine village of Davos, snowy and celebrity-filled for the week, as the 54th World Economic Forum is underway. Leaders and finance ministers from all over the world and all over business have convened in this town for this week to discuss the future they're all building. And few are as essential to that building process as our next interviewee, the CEO of Intel. Pat Gelsinger is among those building our AI future. Intel just announced a new line of computer chips for generative AI, which means competing with NVIDIA and AMD in the supply of chips to power AI models. Intel stock jumped 12% in the latter half of December after that company announced that new line of chips. Intel's also building a plant in Ohio, about a thousand acres outside Columbus, to ramp up U.S. semiconductor production starting in 2025. As you'll hear, Gelsinger sees his business, as most CEOs at Davos do, as critical to and impacted by global geopolitics. The CEO of Intel sat down with our CNBC Squawk Box anchors Joe, Becky, and Andrew in Davos to talk all about it. Here's Becky. Pat, welcome. It, hey, thanks it, for being here. What a great honor to be on the show with you. Well, it is wonderful to have you here. I, I want to talk about your stock and the things that are driving its performance. We just mentioned what happened in December. I mean, you had an impressive year. The stock was up about 60%. And it was because of two big things that were pushing it. One, I think, is this idea that chip sales are going to increase as you see an increase in PC sales, hopefully. The second is just this idea of the foundries that you're building and what that's going to mean, too, with AI kind of built into the like. So let's break it all down. First of all, um, PC sales have been down for eight quarters in a row. What's what's going to turn the tide there? And when does that happen? Yeah, I think this year and people, I think, expect it to start a little slow, but accelerate as we go through the year because you're hitting a natural refresh cycle. You're four years after COVID, so that's normal, a four-year cycle. But uh, there's also a Windows new operating system coming out, end of life of older one. Again, that's always a positive. But the big thing for us is AIPC. 
right? And I've described it like Centrino. And if you go back in time, we had created Wi-Fi. I helped to create Wi-Fi. And sort of nothing happened for a couple of years. And then we launched the Centrino platform. And all of a sudden, if you were a coffee shop, you had to have Wi-Fi. If you were a hotel, a business. And it changed the PC. You, know, you went from Excel as your key application to the browser, right? And the internet and connectivity and changed the form factor and use cases. And we think of that like the AI PC, right? It's going to drive new applications, new experiences, new form factors. And I believe there's a budding excitement for what that's going to do to the PC category starting this year, but continuing into the next couple of years. And obviously, we announced uh, Core Ultra, our AI PC flagship product. As uh, you know, the, the, the starting gun has right. now sounded. We are, we are off. All right, let's talk about the foundries side of things, too, because this has been a really exciting story. You guys are making plans. You're in the works with some of these factories that you're building, uh, not only in the U.S., but in other places, too. But this is a long story that plays out over a long period of time. Um, you just announced that you're going to be a putting expanding a plant in Israel to the tune of about $25 billion after that country said that the government there would give you, I think, $3.2 billion in subsidies for that. So is this just an indication that you're going to go where your capital is treated best? The, uh, you know, overall, I guess there's three things to pull it, tease apart there a little bit. And I think part of the optimism in the stock uh, for Intel has been we're getting the process technology back. You know, we said five nodes, four years, this audacious plan to get back to leadership. And as it's coming to life, people are who might have been skeptics are saying, wow, they're making it happen. And I think with that, it's sort of like the products get better but the foundry opportunity. Where are you in the four-year cycle? Well, in the four-year cycle, we're a little bit over halfway, and we've delivered two of those are done. We're going to production with a third of those five in the first half of the year and the other two by the end of the year. So we're on track for something that people said, wow, they can't do this, and we're proving them wrong and building momentum. But then that says, oh, foundry customers, hey, they want to start taking advantage of that process technology uh, for that. And we're starting to have more momentum of those customers saying, huh, we might have only designed on some of the today's foundries in Asia, TSMC, Samsung, mm -hmm. Global Foundries. But now Intel with leadership process technology, we're interested because we want balanced, resilient supply chains, but then says, where are the factories? And that's the third part of that story is the factories are coming along, you know, the big ones in the U.S., Arizona, New Mexico, Oregon and Ohio, Ohio. the big project. Right. And uh, here in uh, Europe, we have uh, Ireland, the Magdeburg uh, factory or Poland assembly test and the recently uh, described Israel expansion. So overall, we say we're the only company in the world that has major supply chains for all three areas, the Americas, for the Europeans and for Asia. That's a unique capacity and people say, it's an uncertain world, I need resilience and those most critical element to the supply chain, my semiconductors. Um, can we talk about national security issues as sure. they relate to uh, chips? Uh, Premier of China is here in town. Uh, lots of questions about what can be exported or should be exported to China. Um, there's a whole question about throttling chips, whether the folks in China wanna buy throttle chips. What is your position on all of this? Well, we've consistently taken the view that uh, the best way to think about this is the U.S. and the Western companies maximize exports. You know, we want, you know, if I'm going to build lots of factories and be able to fund R&D, I need access to the global market. You know, so let us sell chips uh, globally, you know, manage consistent with your industrial policy where you want technologies to be. Right. right, not the products. Sell the products everywhere you can. Give as much market access in the global uh, community, and you know the biggest market is but the U.S. Idea, but the idea of but the China. idea of limiting sales 
uh, of certain speed chips to China puts us in a good position, a bad position. How far back do you think China really is? I mean, I think a lot of people saw those Huawei phones uh, last uh, last fall, yeah. last summer, and were surprised at how fast uh, the chips inside them actually were. Well, part of that's how much technology access they have, particularly in equipment area. And that's where the partnership between uh, U.S., Europe, and Japan, where do we want to the technologies, the equipment to go? The idea of limiting the highest performance chips, you know, this has been going on for almost 50 years in high performance uh, computing. You know, I think what's been surprising is the inconsistency or the changes in those policies over a short period of time make it impossible for any of us right, to adjust our businesses and products to meet an ever-changing policy environment. Set the policies consistent with industrial policy, let, our runner, let us run our business against them. And of course, then, you know, the question, as you say, is, OK, where should the lines be drawn, right, right uh, associated President with it? President Biden is very uh, tactful in, in talking about the Taiwan elections over the weekend. I would imagine you'd be very tactful as well if, if you were to comment on, on things like that. You have to be very careful uh, on what you say. But what, what would you say? And, and there are some people that think there's only one option left at this point for President Xi, and it's only a matter of time. Well, I think President Xi's been declarative. You know, this is part of uh, China, right? It's a critical role in the supply chain. And, you know, I think the elections sort of say things are probably status quo, which I think is good for the world. China, it, uh, Taiwan is a ch tech hub. It's a staunch, huge, independent, right? Uh, he, he, right? The, the new president staunchly. What uh, a balanced legislator. Uh, balanced legislation that probably keeps a reasonable balance to the view of the policies. So you don't that they think take. anything happens in one year, two years, five years? How no, long? I, I believe there's great risk here by any area of the world being a disproportionate portion of the supply chain for something so critical. And time? that's the essence do, of do, our how strategy. Much time do we have? How quickly do we get to a point where we are um, chip independent, if you will. Is what does chip independence mean? Is that the end of your four-year cycle? The, you know, what we've said when we started this journey, the U.S. Chips Act, the EU Chips Act, was get to 50-50 by the end of the decade. Meaning 50% of the chips being manufactured in the United States? In the U.S. and in Europe. Is that all chips or just the important chips? The, you know, uh, particularly the uh, leading edge chips, okay. right, as we uh, move forward. And today, that's uh, less than 20%. So that's a huge shift in the policy. And if we get to 50-50, the world will be a pretty happy place in comparison to the fragility of where we are today. The The CHIPS Act was passed in 2022. It has seemed like that money has been doled out in dribs and drabs. What do you think of how quickly or not quickly that money yeah, is getting out? We're anxious to get it done in that sense. And, you know, the Department of Commerce, you know, they were somewhat, you know, they caught the bus, right? They had never managed something of this scale. You know, this is new industrial policy muscle for them to build. So on the one hand, Hey, I'm empathetic of what they had to stand up, but hey, I'm building factories today. You know, get the monies dispensed right. rapidly. We're working closely with the Department of Commerce to move this forward because the faster we move, the sooner we get to a more balanced supply chain. Andrew, go ahead. Uh, well, the other the other piece of this I was going to ask is this is maybe a geopolitical or policy question. Do you think if we get to the 50-50 piece in 2030, that makes it easier for the United States if China decides that they want to take over Taiwan? Do you think the U.S. says, OK, actually, you're no you're no actually no longer strategically as important as you used to be. Therefore, we're actually willing to let this happen. Or does it actually strengthen the hand of the United States to say, actually, we really want to protect you uh, because of the democracy piece of it and the independence piece of it? 
Well, you know, the geopolitics, hey, I'm not a politician. But you've spent but a lot I of time say, now yeah, with these leaders. You sounded about like one on that answer <laughs> about China. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you, Gerald. Uh, but, uh, you know, the thing is, if you have a more balanced supply chain, everybody can make better policy, right? If you have unique, harsh dependencies, then small things must become big things. And in this regard, I think everybody can sleep a lot easier if, in fact, we have more balanced supply chains, you know, we have fewer choke points, you know, fewer ports, fewer islands, fewer places in the world with choke points. And that's what we're trying to achieve and build a much better economy and national security for the U.S. So and everybody Europe. in the U.S. can sleep yeah. better, I mean, not this necessarily is, this is creation. in Taiwan. <laughs> this, is, this is the creation of major jobs, you know, construction of factories, rebuilding the heartland of America and having more control over national security. This is the right policy for the world. I've, I've read about there being a, a shortage of construction workers in Ohio. How big of a problem is that right now, just in terms of how fast you wanna move? It, it's a challenge. Um, that, that said, you know, we're managing through it, we're navigating through it. You know, When there's worker shortages, people sort of say, uh, give me a few more bucks and I'll start showing up. So right. you know, we're having to manage it, but uh, the balance of cost, schedule, and available talent, you know, we're getting through it and we've been thrilled by the warm reception that we have in Ohio. We got, do we need to expand the visa program or do we need to start teaching more math to our kids? And it, sooner or later, it's gonna be a bottleneck <laughs> and it's gonna be hard to get engineers, is it not? That, well, that, you, know, I, you know, I have three policy objectives before I leave this job, Joe. You know, one is chips one and probably chips two, you know, getting industrial policy done. You know, number two is long-term R&D, right? Build the feed, seed corn for the long-term. And the third is immigration policy. You know, every high, uh, high ed degree should come stamped with a green card uh, to go with it. We need this talent, you know, and uh, you do know, we this, not have it here, Pat. Right. That's what I mean. Do we need? Do we oh, need more engine, yeah. more uh, STEM we need education? Mo we need more STEM. You know, we need more technicians. You know, we need more capacity for. You know, think about how many of our companies are led by immigrants today. You know, they come to the country well educated, the top of their class and hungry for the opportunities you know, that uh, the West offers them. Right. And I think we should just say, if the world wants to give us their best and their brightest, we should say, yes, please. Pat, thank you very much for joining us. Pat Gelsinger. Thank, thank you, you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to this special Squawk Pod reports from the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Squawk Pod is produced by me, Cameron Costa, Katie Kramer, and Caroline Rahotis. John Lazaration is our editor. Have a great day.